I invite you to pray with me. Father, we come into your presence and we recognize that there are all kinds of stories of marriage and relationships here. Every one of us obviously has been touched to some degree or another by marriage. Some who are in it, some who are really bruised by it, some who are even right now kind of pushing at the knot of that marriage. And there are some here, God, who wish to be married or have lost someone. God, we just bring all these things before you. We ask that in this series, in this time, you would speak to our hearts and 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 again, remind us of what it means to be coupled as one before you. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. You know, it's interesting. Sometimes the reality of fairy tales, they make me a little suspect, um, like in Cinderella. Some of you can recall, you know, the prince dances all night with this beautiful woman. He's looking into her eyes. He is staring at her face and raptured by her. But then the next morning comes. And he can't even remember what she looks like. Has to go up throughout the entire kingdom. Think about it. With a shoe trying to put it on her foot. And right there, you got to go, okay, maybe we should think twice about these fairy tales and this happily ever after, you know, after thing. And then you take Snow White and Prince Charming. You think about those two. They look so happy together. They've actually found one another. They're soulmates. And we're told at the end they live happily ever after. But here's what you didn't see. <laughs> Prince Charming doesn't look so charming there. And as the late Paul Harvey used to end his newscast with this signature phrase, he goes, now you know the rest of the story. There is a myth. And you find... This, this idea of, of connecting with your soulmate and you'll live happily ever after. You know, find the right one and true happiness just seems to follow. Good marriages just happen. And this myth is propagated by the internet and movies and by the media. This idea that, you know, marriages just come kind of easy if you find the right one. It's like a recipe, just add the right person, the soulmate, and live happily ever after. But yet, when we think about it and you actually look at the reality of these kind of marriages, you look at the statistics and you'll find these fairy tales have a lot of fallacy embedded in them. I, I, I realize these statistics can, you know, can go up and down a bit, but this one's pretty close. Fifty percent of all marriages end in divorce. And as we begin this marriage series, I understand as I talk about this as this service and last service, it can be extremely painful for certain people. And my heart goes out to any person who has experienced the rejection and the hurt and the shame and the injustices that are kind of reminders. And this could be that same kind of reminder that could cause your soul to ache again. And I realize there may be some of you who are wading through right now troubled waters and you're in this process of wondering whether the relationship should continue. Do I put in the effort and should I throw in the towel and just various questions. And that may be one of the reasons you're here today. You see, the reality of divorce is painful for those who are considering this. If you're in this place and you're considering it um, as an option, the entire process is just riddled with pain and complexity. For women, 
Besides all the emotional pain, statistics show that the standard of living decreases as much as 40% when you divorce. And for men, besides the wounds of divorce, again, statistics show that 72% of child custody is awarded to their wife. And those are just a few statistics around the pain and the heartbreak of divorce. And I also understand that even in this, this time this morning, as we, we kind of go through this series over these next uh, coming four weeks, there are some who are thinking, this isn't relevant to me. In fact, I had someone send me an email because, um, you know, people, you may be here, you're not married or you're, you're, you have a great marriage or you've been married a long time and you aren't considering much about marriage these days in the sense of you've just been doing it. I, I, I got this interesting email where the person wrote me, my first reaction when I heard that Pastor Kevin was doing a series on marriage myths was this series doesn't involve me at all since I am a widow for the last 11 years. But as I began to contemplate this in prayer, I thought, quote, with my experiences and having had a vibrant marriage with all its ups and downs for 50 years, there still must be something for me to give to younger wives, some way I can invest in others. And then she asked, is there any way I could facilitate a small group of women who are seeking to save their marriage or, or just trying to bring more vitality back into their life? And you may be thinking, what can I do? You can pray. You can maybe give some of these messages to someone who may need to hear it. You may invite someone. There's lots of ways you can listen to some of the truths that come out because they don't just apply to marriage. They apply to all relationships. But marriages have taken a huge hit over the past 40 years. And people may not under and really realize this. You hear about it. But the statistics, again, are just glaring. Twenty five to thirty thousand divorces per year since the 50s and 60s. Today, guess how many there are? After 2000, there's been about 125 to 130,000 divorces per year. That's five times higher in less than a generation. And now you know why I think there is such fear, as we saw in this drama, around people getting married. It's one of the reasons people often justify moving in together, because they kind of consider, I don't want to give that kind of commitment if it's not going to work. And they justify moving in together, even though, catch this, all the statistics reveal your chances for marital success actually decrease. And catch this, this statistic as well. This one kind of floored me. Eighty percent of divorces list irreconcilable differences as the cause for their breakup. Now, they say there's some other things that would that, that people maybe just use that slot But even if it's as high as 60 percent, that means that the most commonly identified issue for divorce is this personality differences. We just aren't compatible. There's no fault, as the law says, in this divorce. And then I want to share with you one last thing, because this is really relevant to what I'm going to be speaking on in just a few moments. There are statistics that show and, and reveal, and I found this very interesting because I was doing all kinds of reading in, on this series and, and came across some scattered statistics, but I decided to go on the Internet and actually look at the U.S. government and some other um, census things, and they find this, 20% of divorces occur after five years of marriage. The first five years are pretty, you know, you're riding on whatever emotion and commitment you made. 33% occur after 10 years of marriage. And 43% occur after 15 years of marriage. So there's this idea, somewhere between 5 and 15 years of marriage, 53% of people divorce. And then sometime between 15 and 25 years of marriage, another 43% do. 
There are actual phases or stages in your marriage where you will come to a point where a breakup, a possibility of ending that relationship for whatever reasons, and usually it's that you're not compatible, occur. And what I would really like to do this morning is simply hone in on one Bible verse that was given at the very beginning of creation before the first couple, Adam and Eve. And in in this first message, Jesus picks up on and when he's sharing with people later on, he shares with these uh, with other people the same verse, because I think it's so important. It's such an elemental truth about people as they move through the phases of marriage. And I would love for you to think about, are you in any one of these phases? Is there someone you know who may be in one of these phases? And to think about this verse. It says in Genesis chapter 2, verse 24, For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and they will become one flesh. I like the way older translations state this. It says a man will leave his father and mother and cleave to his wife. There is a stage in each stage where there is a leaving and cleaving that's necessary. Essentially, the idea of leaving and cleaving means to break with something old and to, in a sense, bond with something new. The word cleave is an interesting word. And one of the ways you can understand how words might be used in in the Bible to give you more understanding is to take it out of the context of maybe how that word is used even in relationships. And, and in Job 38, 38, there is this word cleave that is used and it's talking about the dust and dirt that when there's a rainfall, somehow when it gets muddy, these two clumps of dirt form and fuse together. They cleave together to make one new substance, one new kind of clot of dirt. It says in Job 38, 38, when the dust becomes hard and the clods of earth cleave, fuse together. So in a sense, as I was thinking about this message, I was thinking I could have titled it how two dirt balls can stick together (laughs) through every stage of marriage. Because the Bible does say we're dust. You see, this use of this word, especially in relationship to people, is this idea of leaving and cleaving means to break with that which is old and to cleave to that which is new, refers to the kind of loyalty that will exist between two individuals who will commit themselves to one another, even through times of difficulty. It's what you said in your vows. It's this kind of cleaving, this kind of loyalty, this kind of covenantal loyalty. In fact, as I go through this series, some of the books that I've read that I just will share with you from time to time, an incredibly good book when it talks about this whole idea of covenant is this one by Tim Keller, which calls, it's, it's just newly out, The Meaning of Marriage. It's been out for a little bit. There's another idea, not just only of relationships, how people come together, but this word even has a deeper meaning. This idea of cleaving, this sense of covenantal promise and vows of commitment is, is, is used so often in Scripture about God to you and to me. It's God's promise to loyally, out of pure grace, through an act of forgiveness, to stick with and stay glued to all who will cling to Him And in repentance and in in a heart that is broken before him that says, I want you in my life. I recognize that it isn't according to my goodness, but it's because of what you have done and the love you have expressed on the cross. I just want to turn from the things I've been doing and I want to form new in my heart relationship with you. And, And he says he cleaves to you. God cleaves you. He will not leave you. If there's anything you want to get out of this message, God, if you have that humble, open heart and you just ask him for forgiveness to come in, he will cleave to you. 
Well, this phrase has a far deeper implication than we often think about, that, of, that a person will leave their father and mother, their physical home. It has it on the surface of that. But this phrase is so much deeper than that. To leave and to cleave is something that takes place throughout your life, every day in a sense, but especially when we look at these stages of marriage. It involves a person's commitment to develop a growing, intimate relationship with their spouse through the thick and thins and up and downs of life. And you may not have realized it on your wedding day when you said these vows. Here's what you were saying. You were pledging yourself personally. Now I want you to catch this because maybe you need to recommit yourself to this today. You were pledging yourself to do everything in your power. Using all of your wisdom. And applying all of your gifts. To make this relationship work. Because the art of staying in love, clinging together is no easy thing. A good marriage doesn't just happen. That is the hype of Hollywood and it is the lies of romance novels. So let's kind of walk through these leaving and cleaving and how it applies to each stage of marriage because marriage usually begins with what I call the season of romance. It's at, it's at that time where, where it occurs somewhere prior to your marriage and often lasts through the first few years, can't even last as long as five years. You kind of run on the steam of that commitment and that romance and all the rest. And romance is this wonderfully ideal time when love like a drug just colors all of life. You know what I mean? You just can see the guy, he's walking, it's just like, who stole him? Right? And, 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 and in, a, in a woman's life, it just, she just gushes with a sense of this person who she just thinks the world... It's in this time that we don't see the total person, where we look beyond their faults. Romance like a drug, it just distorts our values, and, and we do things we'd never think we'd do. Like men write poetry. Anybody? Women eagerly attend all of their guys' softball games. Yeah, if you were laughing, you rack up phone bills and keep AT&T in business or text messages or whatever you're using. You spend hours thinking of ways to plan the perfect date, guys. You spend hours in front of the mirror trying on four or five different dresses so he'll be dazzled and awed by your appearance. I could go on. You know, even the Bible speaks of this, uh, this romantic season of love. There's a place in Scripture where we read in Genesis that Jacob loved Rachel so much that he, for seven, and, seven years, worked for, with, for his father-in-law in order to get Rachel's hand. He put in seven years working for his father-in-law. And here's what the scripture says. And you've got to catch this. But those seven years seemed only a few days. But just like a drug, romance wears off. And we're forced to see things as they are. Because at some point after you're married, reality hits. And you realize this might not be as easy as you once thought. Mr. Right isn't so right. And you begin to wonder about Mrs. Wonderful. And having left home cleaving to this romantic picture of life, you now leave these false expectations of romantic love and you have to cleave to something new. And that is the reality of the very relationship you have. And this doesn't happen all at once. For some people, it does. And it's like a shock. 
And for some people, it's happening over time. And you begin to realize this and you begin to understand that love isn't a feeling like you were told by the pastor at your your premarital counseling days or your message that you received when you were being married. You're told that love is an emotion and you now know the reality of it. That it's not just something marriage that happens. In fact, the truly wise partner realizes this. It's okay to fall out of love, the stupor of romantic love. Because at this point, you now truly have the ability to choose what you see and what you have. It's an incredibly important time. It's the opportunity for you to not be driven by your need, but now to begin to say, I want this. I will choose for this. And what I find interesting in this time is that God is so clear when he gives this message and we see it throughout the stages at this stage of the of the marriage. God hits the nail on the head in this first wedding message. And he says, listen, you need to leave. You need to leave those false expectations that love just happens. And you leave the fairy tale and cleave to this truth. Love takes work. Real love that grows intimate requires effort. Love that lasts a lifetime doesn't just happen, but with God's help, you make it happen. You know, every great work you think about, everything you do in life, everything that is going to be done well requires hard work and energy. You're in your work world. The things that you are you're doing and you're producing, whether it's a sales presentation or it's some kind of um, project that you're working on, the things that you do and you do well require a lot of effort, a lot of energy, a lot of thought, a lot of the good parts of yourself to make it good. It happens in all of life. You really want a, a physically fit body. It doesn't happen by, you know, hoping that's going to happen. It requires the kind of discipline, the kind of energy it, it requires for you to move to a different place where you look at. If I want to get there, it's going to cost me something. It's going to take some effort. You know, Michelangelo, can you imagine the Sistine Chapel as he was lying on his back? I doubt over the years he was painting, he was going, this is the best. But people marvel at this work that he did because it took work. Great marriages just don't happen. And in this phase, it is the reality of the commitment and effort that you will do this again and again. And it's worth it. It's worth it. Not merely for yourselves, because at some point kids come along. I remember seeing this once, this story of dad who was in the throes of a divorce. He had planned. He knew he needed to speak to his son. And his, his son asked his dad, why, dad, are you leaving mom? Little kid. Tears in his eyes. He wants an explanation. And dad looked at him. He had this planned little speech and he began, well, son, you know, some things, they just don't work out, you know, and he shared a little, you know, a little bit more. And then he said, you know, your mother and I, we fell out of love. And, you know, I think he's in his mind thinking this is going to kind of work. And he, the boy just cuts him off with tears down his face. And he says, Dad, will you fall out of love with me? Love's a choice. Love that really creates something of great value that will be something that will make an impact in your life and the lives of others is going to call for the best of you. And you may be at that place right now where God's saying it's going to be work. 
You may be entering into marriage and you need to know that when that romance begins to phase and it becomes hate, there is this truth. At some point along the way, though, I think it's really interesting because the romance season, this brief season of what I call I do, moves to a new season called You'd Better. You see, from romance, you move to what I call a season of rights. And in this season, personality differences and personal needs take center stage. Fights occur because you're not getting what you bargained for and what you need. It shows up a little bit in those first few years, but you kind of get by it. But now it begins to take center stage. And you become angry with the very things that you once fell in love with. See, what you once admired in that person as spontaneity, now you label as just pure irresponsibility. And what you call being driven is now workaholism. And when you say, I just love how she just values me and so concerned about me, now you say, quit badgering and nagging me. And ladies, you know, when you fell in love with this earthy ruggedness, you found it so attractive, now you just call it a stinking slob. Yeah. Season at this point is the result of people struggling for rights. And if you're there, you know what it's like. It's just this push, pull, and it's a lot about trying to change your partner to get your needs met. And you play games even to get your needs met. There's all kinds of manipulations. There's all kinds of things that go on. And these, these fights can be very out front and center. Or they can be very covert under the table. And marriage becomes what I call battlegrounds of need. If you would do this, if you would just do that. And in your heart, you begin to reason, I have rights and I expect you to meet my needs. Just look at all the things I'm doing for you. And what happens in this time, you begin to add children to your life and often power struggles even deepen when children come along and they intensify the fight for rights because now they have rights too, right? And obviously their rights and their needs are far more important than yours. And it can be that one of you is working full time or both of you are working and you're climbing this career ladder. You're trying to make it. You're trying to be successful and it increases the struggle and you kind of look at each other. Aren't we doing this because we want this kind of house and we want this kind of lifestyle and all these things begin to start pulling at each other and you kind of look at the other person. But you've got to expect sacrifices. I've got to put this kind of time in. And then somehow, even to make it worse, in-laws entered the picture. And they claim their rights as you struggle to create your own family. And you remember that you left and you cleft on your wedding day. Physically, you left the home, but now you're called. Really, I think this is one of the most important things in this series of rights. Now you are called to leave your childhood patterns. This is an incredibly important time. Because all the symptomatic issues, and they really are symptomatic, and they're listed there, such things as money and how it will be spent, children, how they'll be disciplined, sex, how much, how little. All these things come to the surface, but they are rooted in something deeper. And yes, you need to deal with symptoms. Sometimes like you can have a, you know, in life you can have a headache that's so bad you might need to deal with the symptom. But the reality is the real core of it is something that's in your soul. That's something that's necessary to be looked at. It's something that needs to be examined. And in this time, you actually leave the false expectations of, of all these rights and the fight. Because I can tell you, no one wins in the fight. 
If you win and you overpower and get really big and the other person gets really small and one's in control and one's a victim, I can, I can promise you no one's going to win in that. But God wants us two mature, growing people who understand their hearts and their needs and their values and learn how to communicate and work through conflict in ways. And this is a very, very important place in your marriage. And what you cleave to in this time is to, is to understand. It says in Scripture, Proverbs 2, 2 through 5. Apply your heart to understanding. Call out for insight. Cry aloud for discernment. Look for it as for silver. Search for it as a hidden treasure. Then you will understand and find the knowledge of God. It is time to take personal responsibility, to actually look within, to quit the blame game, to not go to self-pity, to begin to understand that in your childhood there was probably roles, things that you, that you may have naturally found as a way that kept you, in a sense, safe, that kept you moving forward. It could be that you moved into a role where you were a voider or you were a pleaser or in some way you were the controller of slash victim because you go back and forth in that. Or maybe you were this person who was a vacillator, these roles. And we'll talk, I'm hoping in some of these series to talk more about it. But you begin to find that as you kind of, those things don't make it and they don't fit. You move into this fight and in this fight you begin to see, that you, you have what one, one, one author has talked about is in the science of trust. It's all a scientific understanding of trust where they've actually done laboratories experiments around this. They have found that if you stay in this place where you continue to fight, where you're continuing to get this going, what happens is you move into what they call an emotional negative override. What happens is the tone begins to get more and more negative, And like a whirlpool, it just sucks you down and eventually destroys your marriage. They've seen it happen again and again. And one of the things I think is really interesting, they say what you need to do is not only cling to understanding and that whole process of, of understanding what's going on within, but you also need to move into friendship with one another. You have to actually treat one another like friends. And I have to share with you, you may be in this place and there's all kinds of things. It's not just, you know, there is a sense that God could be calling to you right through this place. You know what it's like. You know what it's like in your marriage. And God might right now be saying to you, invite me in. And inviting him in may be more than just God, meet me here right now. It may be God, I am going to set up time. I'm going to take the initiative, whether my spouse wants to go or not, to get constant, to understand what's driving this. I want you to begin to start to move differently in me, to transform my heart. I'm going to learn to apply some of the truths of your word, this whole concept of forgiveness and what it truly means. I'm going to understand how do I put a boundaries in a way that help us really create a new relationship. And then marriage. It's really interesting. Moves to what I call another season after this. Some people go through the season of rights in a fight and they just kind of get dulled because of all the activity and all the things you're doing. But marriage at some point moves to what I call a season of readjustment. And in this season, there's sweeping changes that take place. Because it's around this time the kids are growing up. They're less, they just don't need you as much. And eventually they actually move out. You know, kids are gone, and then they come back again. And then they go away, they come back again for a little while. You know that season, and then they go away. And then just as you get things cleaned up in the room, they come back again. And what you thought was, you know, everyone told you, oh, you're in the empty nest years. You realize now it's just an open nest. Do you know, Lennar Homes, I just saw someone gave me this ad, is actually building in Minnesota what they call multi-generational homes. 
They have found in California, Florida, and a couple other states, they've been very successful because of the times and the economic times that they're building homes where families multi-generationally live in the same home together. Pray for them. Anyway, um, <laughs> we'll see how it goes. Anyway, in this season, what can happen is your job can be very predictable and you can achieve, in a sense, seniority. You understand how to do your job, so it can become kind of routine. You have more time, more energy. And in this season, the kids are gone. So you have to start looking. You start looking for other interests to get yourself involved. And in this season, particularly, there are many divorces because what happens is people create parallel journeys rather than shared journeys. The kids at one point kept you on a similar journey. And now as you come to this point, you wonder if you are on any journey together at all. And this could be a good season because you can get to that point where you can, you know, there's more self-expression. There's more grabbing to some of the unique things that you're that are uniquely you that you can give yourself to. But it can be really bad as well. You may have never worked through the season of rights and merely accepted the fact that you can't change him. I saw a cartoon when I was doing this series and, and it was a, it was one of the fairy tales ones where their grandmother's at the bed reading one of the fairy tales to the kids. This little girl and she looks at her and she's just about to read these words. She says, and they lowered their expectations and lived happily ever after. <laughs> what happens in this phase? You have no expectations. There's not a lot you want to get out of the marriage. In one sense, you've learned how to live as a roommates. I had some people last service, a couple of months ago, and said, yeah, I, I, can, I know that tendency to just coexist. Where romance and passion used to drive a couple together, now what may hold them together is the fear of loneliness and losing what they've got. And I have to share with you, you don't have to live parallel lives. You can leave what I call these stagnation tendencies or these tendencies to separate. And you can start to cleave to what is true about love. It's creative. Revelation, Jesus says to the church of Ephesus as they're going through this process where they once had this fervent love for, for Jesus. And he now says your love has gone cold. And he says to them this, listen, you have forsaken your first love. And he says, repent, which means to turn, let go of and do the first things again. Cleave to those things you once did when you were creative and you're putting energy and you're thinking about how do I connect with this person? Do the things you first did. It's time to be kids again now. I know a guy who um, told his kids all his life how dangerous motorcycles were. And when he got to this point in his life, he went out and bought two Harleys for his wife and himself. Go figure. But they are having a blast. See, now you don't need date nights because the kids are gone. The house is empty. You don't need date nights just to talk like you used to. To get, you know, kind of time out. We need to stay on the same page. Now you need times to date and just have fun. It's time to create romance again. It means doing the work again. And here's a really novel idea, guys. I want you to think about this. When you're out sometime, try this. Put your hand down by your side, and as you are walking along, reach out and grab her hand. Guess what? It's still there. That was a little joke, but anyway. <laughs> try writing poems again. No, don't do that. It's 
surprise with flowers. Be creative. And then there's this final phase, which I want to share with you. And it's this phase of entering what I call the season of rest. It's really interesting in this season, you, you get to enjoy all the things you've worked so hard to create. You're able to enjoy this ability to rest in a well-made love. And you actually get to enjoy um, and not be overburdened by your kids, but enjoy them. And, and, and if you have grandkids, whatever, it's this incredible season where the two of you are together. Through the experience of life, you have learned how to depend on God for your fullness. You've done the hard work of understanding your soul. You're in this place now where you encourage each other's potential through loving interdependence. And so to those who have worked hard on the relationship, who have sought to honestly and humbly understand themselves and one another, who have, who have really creatively invested in their relationship, there's really something wonderful about this time. There is a deep substance to it. Now, I'm not saying everyone enters even this season of rest, because if you don't do those things, you can coexist and you can move and you can be in this place. I have seen plenty of couples who get, but you know what? Some, some people who actually do the hard work and seek to truly understand and invite others in and say, God, we need you and all your resources, because this is going to work, who begin to move to this place where they go, we're not going to just have coexisting life, but we're going to be integrated in our lives for the sake of one another and for our kids and our grandkids. And we are going to move into this place through all this to this place of rest where there's deep substance. It's rich. I was out in the hallway a few weeks back and I was meeting someone's parents and and they were in their late 80s and and they were sharing with us that it was their anniversary that day and I thought, oh, that's kind of cool and I, I kind of blurted out, you know, my wife and I just a week ago or so celebrated our 30th anniversary milestone and they looked at us oh we're celebrating 64 you're just getting started that's an interesting way to look at it this man writes he 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 talks about the wonder of these years he says as he shares about his wife to whom he'd been married for many years he says yesterday i was standing in my bedroom looking at my wife and i noticed her wrinkles and that she was aging and i felt this surge of love I've never felt before. She was beautiful, more beautiful than she has ever been before. And he said this, he wept, and his wife had through the seasons of marriage become his friend and his partner and his companion and his lover. And they had over time become what every, what everyone longs for. Soulmates. Because our souls are formed. It just doesn't come together and happily ever after. Our souls are formed through the hard work of just kneeling in humility before God, asking God in and through the phases of our life, leaving go of those things which are not helping, those, those myths that, that cause us to, to miss all that God longs for. You may not be falling out of love. You may just be falling out of a myth. And praise God for that today. Because you may be right where God needs you. I'm going to ask you to bow your heads as we close this service. Father, you know every heart here and you know exactly what is going on in every marriage. You know what's going on in the marriages of some of our kids or grandkids. You know what's going on in the marriages of some of the people we work with or our friends and 
And we invite you right now into this space and place. And God, I pray for every person, married or not, wherever they're at, I just pray that you would be real to us, God. Because you have made a commitment to be married to our soul through your son, Jesus Christ. And I, more than anything, I just invite you to let go of whatever might be holding you back, whether it's shame, whether it's guilt, there is forgiveness in God. He comes to people who, who just are willing to cling on to him and, he, and just grab hold of him and he will give you what's necessary. He, he, is, he will give you his Holy Spirit, who is the best counselor in the world. And he will lead you. Father, thank you. We ask that you would stay with us and move with us as we, we just listen to this message and song. Cause our hearts again to be excited about the fact that right now, right here in this place, you love us and are deeply committed to us. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.